Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. We're talking about loaded up for a show. We are welcome to the program. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. It's a Wednesday. So Jimmy Himes will join us. We'll talk the Alabama effect and how Tennessee must overcome a physical game against Alabama. Uh, whether it's a loss or it's a win, it can certainly have an effect as Caleb does each and every Wednesday. Also five balls and five wildcats to watch. Is this a make-or-break game for Joe Milton? Because Kentucky's pass defense is absolutely horrendous. We will discuss that. You can vote. That's on our poll question on YouTube. Love for you to take advantage of that. And then when you start to look at the quarterbacks around the nation, like, of course, uh, Michael Penix Jr. and Harrison Bailey, Brian Moore, Caden Salter, those guys were pretty much run off by Tennessee. And I wonder... Of those, obviously Penix, but would uh, Tennessee have been better off with any of those guys, just Penix, or are they just fine with Joe Milton? So we'll discuss that. So a lot to get to on the program, and we begin with uh, Michigan scouting Tennessee, which is uh, pretty bizarro, shows you how relevant uh, the balls were last year and how respected they were Caleb this is a story that is getting national exposure and I'll tell you one thing um 
this may cost Jim Harbaugh his his job ultimately. Hope you're doing well, sir. How are you, Caleb? I am good. How are you, Dave? Never better, my man. Never better. Ready to ready to move on to the cats. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Um, it's uh kind of crazy. You want to be talking about Kentucky, but then you got to talk about the scandal, which you and I don't think is a serious scandal, but I'm more interested in how Michigan applied this scandal, which I don't think people are paying attention to because I don't think it was just in Rutsky to the suit. I don't think it was about scouting these schools because they might face them in the playoff. I think it was about trying to keep these schools out of the playoff and sharing this information with some of the teams that these schools were playing in November. Well, now I want to be real clear. I think it's a serious scandal. I think it's a dumb rule. Okay, not being able to scout an opponent, but I think it's a serious scandal. And I think somebody has leaked this because they're trying to get Jim Harbaugh out of there. I think you're seeing the the steps to get Jim Harbaugh out of there, who's flirted with the NFL despite how successful he's been at Michigan. Listen, you can become spoiled, and I don't think there's any question about that. So do I think it's a dumb rule? I think you should be able to buy tickets and go scout another team. I got no problem with that. It's a dumb rule, but... No, I think this is a very serious scandal, and the fact that it ties in with Tennessee is uh, pretty bizarre. So that gets us started with uh, what the H? How did Tennessee become involved with this? Maybe they'll get another coach fired besides their own. Here we go. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Okay, so you ran across this first, and it was Michigan scouting the balls, and you came up with a a conspiracy theory that, I'll be honest with you, Caleb, you come up with some conspiracy theories sometimes that throw me for a loop a little bit. I love it, don't get me wrong, but this one I'm, a, I'm kind of on board with, even though it's it's kind of out there. So let's start with what happened. What the H? Why was Michigan scouting Tennessee? And it's brought to you by Andy Mason of AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Andy Mason, best prices, best service in the biz in Knoxville, over 40 years of experience. So, Caleb, why was Michigan scouting the Vols? And how did the Vols get drug into Jim Harbaugh's ongoing khaki drama? So, it wasn't just the Vols. Allegedly, Michigan scouted Tennessee, Clemson, Georgia, Oregon and Alabama last year at different points went to different games with all of them. Now we what with Tennessee, we know the game they scouted and you know, the university's now released some information on it where there was a suspicious purchase of a ticket from a, from one of those ticket buying services online and, and somebody's name that was given to somebody else that made, that makes it very clear. Michigan went to the Tennessee Kentucky game on, on October the 29th. For those who don't remember, that was right before Tennessee was set to play play Georgia the next week. It was right before the college football playoff rankings were set to come out. So Michigan scouted Tennessee. Notice the names I said there, Dave. Tennessee, Clemson, Georgia, Oregon, Alabama. What do four of those five schools have in common outside of what – do, what do every school outside of Georgia have in common from those four? You tell me. They all suffered mysterious upset losses in November. Okay. Playoff hopes. Okay. Now, one of them, we all were – I'll get to Tennessee and Clemson in a minute because I think you guys know where I'm going with that. Oregon was upset by Washington and Oregon State in November. 
Now, you could maybe assume they'd lose one of those games, but you can't really expect them to – you wouldn't expect them to lose to Washington at home. That kind of threw people off a little bit. And Oregon State, yes, it was at Oregon State, but Oregon was a better team. They were in the playoff hunt. Alabama lost to LSU. One of the reasons me, one of the reasons you, one of the reasons so many people picked out LSU to win the West this year was because they beat Alabama Brian Kelly's first year. But Dave, outside of that LS, that Alabama win last year, if you really look at it, LSU didn't do anything that impressive. We based everything on LSU beating Alabama last year, but they got blown out by Tennessee at home. They lost to Texas A&M at the end of the at the end of November, and they got blown out by Georgia in the SEC title game. They weren't that good of a team. It's just the Alabama game that led all of us to hype them up this year. So that's mysterious. But the most mysterious is obviously South Carolina, who is two and five this year, was six and four, and Shane Beamer may have been on the brink of being fired. And out of the blue, they have a resurgence where they just beat the brakes off Tennessee, and then they go and beat Clemson, costing both of them shots at the college football playoff. So my theory comes, it wasn't just about scouting teams they may play. It was about sharing information on those teams because they wanted to clear the field to get to the playoff in case they lost to Ohio State. Now, they didn't lose to Ohio State anyway, but this was a way to clear the field to make sure that it didn't matter if they lost to Ohio State, they were getting in anyway. Okay, so your theory is that this information was shared among coaches? I believe this information was shared with other coaches, yes. I believe that the Mich- I believe Michigan shared this information with South Carolina and either Oregon State or Washington and definitely LSU because these upsets were all very suspicious. Okay, tell me on the message board, do you think that this is crazy conspiracy, uh, Caleb time or not? I don't think it's crazy. I'm not adhering to it, but I don't think it's crazy. And I think it's a possibility because all these coaches talk. Okay, so we go to SEC Media Days to bring you interviews, but we also go to SEC Media Days to talk to other media members so that we can get them on our show. David said he's drinking the Kool-Aid and the coaches convention is the exact same thing. They have it every December. Those guys don't go there to sit in in some sort of meeting about a 4-3 defense and how to run the fundamentals. It's networking. That's exactly what it is. And they go to the coaching convention, which is usually held in Dallas every December. In other words, you may not think it, but all these coaches know each other. And they go from job to job. I mean, goodness, look at Jeremy Pruitt. He he was at so many jobs. He knew everybody. Um, if, if you want to look at uh, Lane Kiffin and the staff he was able to assemble. Why? Because they all had ties amongst each other and he plucked guys from everywhere. So they all know each other. So could I see a sharing of information? Absolutely. I could. However, I think that was ultimately the Jeremy Banks game and Jeremy Banks, because of the off field issues, missing a practice and starting a skirmish with Hendon hooker uh, two days before the game is what cost Tennessee that game. So I think you're on to something very interesting, and I would be stunned if some of Michigan's coaches didn't share some information with some of those teams. But with Tennessee in particular, I believe firmly it was the Jeremy Banks game. But all of what you're saying does make an awful lot of sense. And these again, these coaches, because I've talked to them, 
they know each other way more than you think. They a coach at Alabama doesn't think I hate that coach at Auburn because he's wearing Auburn. No, you don't think that. You think the 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 postman hates the UPS guy? No, I mean it's just two different jobs to them. To a lot of them, yeah, I think that Tennessee fans were raised in a time where Philip Fulmer and Johnny Majors had ties to the university, but that's the exception to the rule, Caleb. That's usually not the case. These guys all know each other, and it wouldn't stun me. What do you think? David says he's drinking the Kool-Aid. Is Caleb on to something? Did the Wolverines cost Tennessee a berth in the college football playoff? That's what Caleb's saying right now. Dave, I, I, I'm with you. It was a Jeremy Banks game, but here's where it's weird. The Jeremy Banks game may explain how South Carolina, which was scoring 7 to 10 points a game, gave had like six points the week before against Florida. Could maybe explain why they scored 40 points. It doesn't explain how they scored a touchdown on every single drive that was meaningful in that game. Every single drive they scored a touchdown. That doesn't happen, okay? I don't care who I don't care if you're playing a division three school. You usually don't score a touchdown. I don't care if Alabama's playing a division three school, you usually don't score a touchdown on every drive. You usually slip up once. They didn't slip up once in that game. And on top of that, it wasn't just Tennessee. They then beat Clemson the next week at Clemson. Okay, that's the year they end the losing streak to Clemson. And then on top of that, again, I want to go back to LSU. I'm starting to think in my mind, because y'all know I was high on Brian Kelly and LSU. Did I overrate them? Because I look back and we based everything about our hype behind LSU this year on that Alabama game. What else did they do last year, Dave? Who else did they beat? Nobody of substance. Nobody. Nobody. How they manage to beat Alabama and beat it, but beat nobody else of substance. An Alabama team that had its best quarterback in history in Bryce Young. I mean, that's just weird. And so now at the end of the day, where this all comes down to, I have to point this out. I don't think I don't have a problem with sign ceiling. Here's my philosophy on it. I think sign ceiling works to the advantage of the team that had their signs stolen. Because if you actually are smart, you realize your signs are stolen and then you switch your signs up at halftime and you catch the whole defense off guard every time. You line up the same formation, pretend you're running the same signs, and then you have the advantage at that point. And so yeah. it's it's not hard to change your signs at all. And and Tennessee's is pretty uh, difficult because they have three guys sending in signs and they wear the different color shirts. So it's it's not difficult to change that up. We're not talking about rewriting the English language. Um, it's really not difficult at all. A couple of other notes on this. You'd think Michigan would want a national championship before they fired a head coach. Who could, would they go after? I will tell you this. There is a there's a pretentiousness, an academic pretentiousness that we've talked about in the Big Ten, in some Big Ten schools. Ohio State less than others, but there certainly is at Michigan. Michigan, I could see being irked by Jim Harbaugh flirting with the NFL. And now this comes up and they could run him off and think that they could go hire another coach because they're cocky and they don't like the fact that he's not a play-by-the-rules type of guy and he's not a yes-or-no-sir guy. He's a jackass to deal with by all coaches I've talked to. So, yes, I think that they would want a national championship, but I think they would risk it and try to get somebody else thinking, hey, we're Michigan, we can do this. You know, Tennessee did that with Philip Fulmer, by the way, so it's not unheard of. Now. David Michael brings up an interesting point. Would Kiffin go to Michigan? Well, the answer is hell yes, but they wouldn't hire him, but he would go. 
first of he all, would go in to, a heart, he would go in a heartbeat. He would go in two seconds. But if they have to fire Jim Harbaugh because of a scandal, if you have to fire a coach for a scandal, the number one coach you're not calling is Lane Kiffin at that point. That's just whoa, whoa, whoa. You're talking to the guy who wrote the story that, that, that there's no way Southern California would come after Lane Kiffin the day that Lane Kiffin left. So That's don't. Because that was a desperation hire. Do you remember how many people turned down USC because they knew that USC was in trouble? Yeah, I wrote about him and looked like a jackass because he the story that came out in the paper at 6 a.m. And by 7 p.m., he was USC's head coach. So, Dave, do you think Michigan is stuck in? So we know Notre Dame is. Notre Dame is stuck in. They believe it's still 1970, right? That they can win with toughness and fundamentals and grittiness and discipline and, and going to class and it doesn't matter. They still believe that old school mentality and they're like, we're Notre Dame, so it doesn't matter. Do you think Michigan has that mentality, sir? Or do you think they have a frustrating, like, guys, Michigan has won half of a national championship since 1947. Let me say that again. They've won half of a national championship since 1947. Are you telling uh, me Michigan has the Notre Dame pretentiousness? Or don't you think at this point they have a desperation of, we're tired of not winning national titles. Forget it. We're just going to go win the national title and stick the middle finger up to the NCAA that has no teeth anyway. I think they have the Notre Dame pretentiousness. I really do. Um, the man of steel, uh, well, let's call him Clark, says, I am suspicious of this theory. Very interesting. David Michael taking a step further and saying Michigan paid banks to sweep Hendon's leg. It's all there. I'm not ready to go that far. But there. I don't think anybody knew about Jeremy Banks and Hendon Hooker. No, I don't think so. All right, here we go. It is time for five balls to watch for and five Kentucky Wildcats to watch for. And it's brought to you by Zen Sports. I'll tell you about them here momentarily. Let's go through the Cats. And then I'm going to tell you why this is a make-or-break game for Joe Milton. But let's take a look at the Cats as we move on to Kentucky. Chaz Nimrod, you've got at number five. Nimrod, why is he one of the balls to watch? So each of the last two losses Kentucky's had, uh, the top, the tallest whiteout for each team was the leading receiver with the exception, the, the leading wide receiver. Brock Bowers was the leading receiver for Georgia. But so Kentucky's having an issue dealing with taller wide receivers. Brew McCoy, it, it's, it's a shame that he's hurt because this would be his game to shine. I think Tennessee gave Chaz Nimrod a look two weeks ago. I think they gave Caleb Webb a look last week because they wanted to see who was better. I think it's very clear Chaz Nimrod is better. So I think they're going to go with Chaz Nimrod this week. I agree. Nimrod passes the eye test uh, or the Webb to me. Cooper Mays, you make a great point that Tennessee's uh, interior got pretty beat up last week by Alabama. I expect him to step up and have a really big game based off uh, the, the Vol Report brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning that we posted on Sunday. I think he's PO'd, to be real honest with you. And then Omari Thomas, you almost could put him in here every week because he kind of is the anchor of that defensive front, right? You could, and I love Omari Thomas. I mean, I've loved him since I interviewed him at SEC Media Days, and I know we can get biased at that, but he's just the nicest guy, but he can play really mean on the field, and he's a really smart player for a defensive tackle too. And... He kind of went away a little bit in the second half last week, and I think they just got a little tired being on the field too long. Kentucky is third in the nation in yards per carry. Tennessee is going to have to stop that first and foremost up front with Amari Thomas. Yep. Aaron Beasley. Why Beasley? Well, again, Kentucky third in the nation in yards per carry. You got to get the push up front, but then you got to close the gaps. Dave, you talk about gap integrity all the time. That's crucial here. Aaron Beasley has to find the right gap to gash through because he's got to get into the backfield in this game. 
And that is what he is best at. It was Elijah Herring last week because you have to contain you had to contain Jalen Milrow. You don't really have to contain Devin Leary. You just have to bum rush the, the run running game. And Aaron Beasley does that better than anybody in the SEC. Do I talk about it gap integrity all the time? Because that makes me feel like a total nerd. You you talk about no, you you you're the one who taught me that phrase, and I'm big on it now because I'm like, I didn't realize, but that is the most under no one ever pays attention to the front seven playing with gap integrity and understanding the right gaps to fill. That is, I, I never thought about that until you brought it up, honestly. And yeah. It, it, it's, it's a great way to give up a, a back cut to a running back. If you don't have gap integrity, it doesn't make mean you're making the play every time, but you've got to do your job. And uh, well, that's nice of you to say, uh, John Adams, like, hates whatever terms you, like gap integrity he always makes fun of me for those. Even though, he himself had no integrity or the program <laughs> itself had no integrity. Penn state was the king of gap integrity when they were linebacker. You under Joe Paterno. That's pretty I mean, good. All right. Today's tough question deals with the number one ball to watch. And it's brought to you by Zen sports. Today's tough question. Take a side, take a stand. The Dave hooker show, a presentation of off the hook We'll also get to four, five Wildcats to watch in this game. Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. We're going to talk Joe Milton. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares. It's huge for Joe Milton. On Zen Sports, what you see is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with promo code HOOKED. That's right, HOOKED. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting, keep earning with up to 3% cash back in your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards to support our sponsors. Use the promo code HOOKED. Zen Sports, bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting. Just got better gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Must be 21 and over and Tennessee to bet. So Joe Milton, number one on your list of balls to watch. Is this a make or break game? And it's our poll question, uh, today's tough question, on YouTube. So we'll check the votes on that here momentarily. I'm going to go ahead and tell you yes. Because uh, Kentucky has a good rush defense. They're, they're good against the run. And their pass defense is absolutely horrible. You can check out the numbers on offthehooksports.com. Kentucky has allowed just over three yards per carry, just like Alabama. As a matter of fact, it's 3.07 to 3.09. Kentucky a little bit better. They've allowed 95 yards rushing per game. Alabama has yielded 109 yards on the ground per contest. Now, as for that pass defense, it is bad uh one of the worst teams in the sec when it comes to stopping uh, the pass the cats uh have allowed 250 yards per game passing this season that's 12th in the sec joe milton can't get it done against kentucky then caleb if, if it's it's nico time if tennessee drops this game to kentucky and joe milton doesn't play well it's time to go in a different direction. And the pressure's all on him because Kentucky's going to sell out to stop the run, just like Alabama did in the second half. 
Is this a make or break game? Today's tough question for Joe Milton. Yes, there's absolutely no excuses for this one. Not only that, it's Nico time because you have ne- you have a very easy game to get Nico ready next week against UConn, which is a very, very, this is the perfect game to kind of get his feet wet. Joe Milton's got a ball out. And also Joe Milton reset the clock last week using his legs. So you know the way he played with his legs, You talk we talk about dictating coverage all the time with receivers. Sometimes quarterbacks have to dictate coverage by how they use their mobility in the pocket. And Joe Milton has is Joe Milton's legs now will dictate coverage in this game, which should allow for plenty of open shots downfield. Dave, last week, maybe I was crazy, but it seemed like there were more open shots downfield last week than there had been all year for Tennessee. Weren't there? Because teams have been selling out to stop the deep ball. And there were a lot more open shots downfield last week. I agree. And he's not good at hitting them. Uh, Apparently we are in the minority because on our uh, poll on YouTube that you can vote on, 78% say, nope, still plenty of season left. There is plenty of season left. So in an average game, let's say Kentucky was great against the pass and poor against the run. That's not a make or break game. I don't think it's just the fact that it's Kentucky. I think it's more than that. This defense is designed to stop the run. That's a Mark Stoops defense. So I'm not just saying the next game is Joe Milton's most important game. The factors that I laid out are, I think, extremely important in judging how important this game is for Joe Milton. Tennessee goes up there and loses and Joe Milton throws for 100 yards, then you've got to look in a different direction or you're staring a 7-5 and season in the face. Absolutely. I mean, there are still three potential losses on the table for Tennessee right now, Kentucky, Missouri, and Georgia. I think this is the most winnable of those three, don't you, Dave? By far. Yes. Yeah, so if you lose this one, you're right, 7-5 and is very much on the table. If you win this one, your nine and three is likely and 10 and two is still a possibility. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. This is make or break for Joe Milton. And if, 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 if Tennessee loses this game because Joe Milton played poorly, there is no way you can't go to Nico at that point. I just, I don't think there is. And I say that as someone who actually holds Joe Milton, the person in high regard, but I, I, oh, I did too, but I I'm a little bit, I, I, but I'll be a little frank with you. I, I'm sick of the, Oh, it's me. It's my bad. Oh, that's my bad. Uh, oh, oops. Let's hold the players meeting. It's my bad. Well, yeah, it's your bad. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, you know. Hey, I, that's that's better than Rick Clawson in 2005 when he started playing poorly in the middle of the season during that quarterback fiasco. And then he told Tennessee fans, if you bail on us now, you're not real fans. Remember when he said that? Yeah, but I mean, it's just, I don't know. The attitude about it is just like you can slough it off at times. And I've talked to people in the community and it frustrates them as well. I mean, listen, if Caleb doesn't show up for five straight shows, and he says, oh, it's my bad. Well, yeah, it's your bad. But there would be repercussions. Same thing for me or same thing for anybody else we have regularly on this show. Let's run down the cats to watch as that's on offthoaksports.com. Trevin Wallace, linebacker. Give me a line on Trevin. So he has five tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks, and an interception and a forced fumble. He's kind of the Aaron Beasley of that defense. He's a rising star on there. He's more the outside linebacker. Derek Jackson is the uh, inside linebacker, but Trevin Wallace is kind of the big playmaker right now. So watch out for him. Deion Walker, defensive lineman. Dave, you know this when you're when you when your defensive lineman leads your team and tackles for a loss, that's usually a rare talent at defensive line, isn't it? When a defensive yes. tackle does that, 
Yes. Yes. It's yeah. And, and again, I think it speaks to how good Kentucky is against the run. Ray Davis running back. He's one of the better running backs in the nation. Definitely the SEC. Maybe the best in the nation. I mean, we're talking a guy who has 111 carries for 781 yards. That's a, and also 195 receiving yards. So he's already almost at a thousand yards at this moment. And yeah, Ray Davis is a superstar. Tennessee really has to be ready for him. The only reason I don't him hold him in quite as high regard as you is just because I think Kentucky likes to feed one running back, which is not usually the case across the nation. But yes, he's definitely one of the better running backs in the nation. Devin Leary at quarterback. Devin Leary is a massive upgrade from Will Levis last year. I am so mad that the Titans are starting Will Levis this week, but Ryan Tannehill's hurt and Malik Willis is terrible. That's the worst three quarterback combo in the NFL, by the way. <laughs> but um, I am, but yes, Devin Leary. I wish Devin Leary was starting for my Titans right now um, over Will Levis. I think he's a very good quarterback. And the big thing is his top receiver, Tavion Robinson, was banged up before the bye for two weeks. He's now had the whole week off to get healthy, so he could be a real threat. And with Kamal Haddon being up for Tennessee, Devin Leary could be dangerous in this one. Yep. And then lastly, you've got uh, Maxwell Harrison, the cornerback. He is incredibly aggressive. Tennessee should either beat him or he's going to beat Tennessee. If he jumps some routes and he ends up uh, with a pick or two, it could be bad news for the ball. So that's uh, number one on Caleb's list, and it makes perfect sense to me. Enjoy life when you see better. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn, look at me. I got no contacts. I got no glasses. I got LASIK, and it's absolutely awesome. Reach out to them, cctis.com, cctis.com. Tell them Off the Hook Sports sent you. Support our sponsors. That's why we're here. And I'm telling you, they're the best with cataract surgery as well. They're local doctors, local. They don't fly people in like some other people. CCTIs.com. Again, Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Han tell them Off the Hook Sports sent you. Jimmy Himes up next, and we love busying with Jimmy. The Alabama effect. Tennessee getting beat down in the second half. Can that affect them in the Commonwealth? Jimmy Himes up next. At sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Have you seen the latest TriStar Hats Co. product? TriStar Hats Co., what's that? You know, those really cool hats, shirts, tumblers, and even license plates with three stars like the official Tennessee flag and stripes like the American flag. Pretty patriotic if you ask me. Ah, I got you. Seen those. Those are cool. Where can I get them? Simple. TriStarHatsCo.com. And if you order now, there's 10% on any order $50 or more. Plus, use the promo code HOOKED. With the promo code HOOKED, you get 
10% off. That's hooked. And don't forget free shipping with any order over 50 bucks. Stock up at TriStarHatsCo.com. That's TriStarHatsCo.com. There are plenty of wannabes out there, so make sure you go to TriStarHatsCo.com for the best quality and customer service. Will do, and I'll be sure to use the promo code HOOK. That's hooked when I do to save an additional 10% off. TriStarHatsCo.com. TriStar Hats Co. is a trademark of TriStar Hats Co. LLC. Any use without express written consent is prohibited. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard! The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. All righty, welcome back. Portions of the program brought to you by Rick Terry Jewelry Design. They want to be your jeweler. Rick Terry looking for affordable game day jewelry. How about the Fire Opals, a Tennessee tradition, rickterryjewelry.com. Support our sponsors. That's why we're here. Let's bring in Jimmy Himes, who we love to visit with each and every Wednesday. And I got two questions for Jimmy before. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Fine, Dave. How are you doing? Never better. I got two questions for you before we get to your Alabama effect column, which is Uh-oh. off the hook. Yeah. No, these these, these are interesting ones. Um, so <laughs> it appears Michigan scouted Tennessee. You talk to coaches like I talk to coaches. Is it outside the realm of possibility that they would have shared information with South Carolina about Tennessee's signals and that would – in part lead to Tennessee's poor performance, even though I think it's mostly Jeremy Banks. Is it possible? I I guess so. Uh, (laughs) Why would Michigan help South Carolina? I just think coaches. Oh, I can give you that one. Go, go Caleb. Yeah. That not just South Carolina, but LSU who beat Alabama in November, they scouted Alabama and then Washington and Oregon state who beat Oregon, who they also scouted. And also Clemson, who they scouted in South Carolina beat Clemson. The reason I could say they would want to help these schools is Michigan wanted to make sure they were knocked out of the college football playoff race. So they had an inside track win or lose against Ohio State at the end of the year. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Just I mean, Just conspiracy Caleb's at it. <laughs> uh, Jim, one other thing that I did want to ask you is – is this a make or break game for Joe Milton? It's our today's tough question. The reason I say so is because Kentucky's pass defense is horrible. Their run defense is good. I think they'll load the box. If he goes up to Lexington and lays an egg, do you have any reason to think that he could do better than an eight and four record? Or you even wrote the Alabama effect could lead to seven and five if Tennessee loses to Kentucky. I think from the perspective of where this season's going, yes, it's make or break uh, for Joe Milton. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the coaching staff's going to bench him, but I think as far as where this season's going, they could, they're not going to be any better than eight and four if they don't beat Kentucky. And they could very well be heading to seven and five because I think Missouri's pretty good. So, I, I, yeah, I do think it's make or break for Milton in terms of where this team will go this season. Wow. Well said. Let's get to the Alabama effect. It's a real thing. Um, and I, I talked to Cooper Mays on our podcast uh, on Sunday, and it's brought to you by City Heating and Air Conditioning. I don't want to read too much into it, but he seemed a little sore and fatigued than other times that I talked to him each and every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alabama beats on you. 
Yeah. And I think it's a real thing, the physical effect uh, and the toll that an Alabama game takes on you. I do too. Then uh, a lot of teams, I don't know everybody's record uh, after the week after, or even two weeks after they play Alabama, their next game. I don't know that. I know Tennessee is under Saban. Saban has 15 wins against Tennessee, not counting the most recent because they haven't had a game yet. And Tennessee's six and nine after those games. Now, most of those wins were over South Carolina when South Carolina wasn't very good. Uh, but that's, uh, I think it's had effect. I think it has a physical effect. I think it can have an emotional effect on you as well after being in a game like that. Maybe you've had a, maybe on a rare occasion, you had a big win against them, or maybe you had a devastating loss against them. So, yeah, I think there is an, an Alabama effect. And also, from that emotional standpoint, you're getting up to play Alabama. Regardless of who you are, you're typically getting up emotionally. You can't get up emotionally for 12 games in a row. You can't do it. And the fact you play after the Alabama game, which most everybody gets up for emotionally, I think it's tough the next week to uh, to match that emotion. I completely agree. Caleb? Jimmy, do you think there is a difference, though, and this may be negative for Tennessee this this week, but during this, however long they've been playing Alabama and Nick Saban, under Nick Saban, 16 years or whatever, do you think it's actually worse this time around? Because most of those games, let's just be honest, throughout the last 16 years, Tennessee went into Alabama, and I don't care what people think about the rivalry, they wrote that game off as a loss. You went in and you're like, this is a loss. We don't care. And even the players, like, we don't really care because we know we're going to lose. Like, South Carolina was more of a circled game than Alabama for most of these seasons. So do you think it's actually a little worse this time because they were emotionally invested in trying to beat Alabama thinking they had a shot and then losing in the second half the way they did? Do you think that actually makes it worse than some of the previous losses? Yes, because you you didn't have a great chance to win the game. You were up 13 nothing. You're up 20 to 7. You should have been up more if you could have scored in the red zone touchdowns instead of field goals. And then you got a few you got a few bad calls. Uh, which I think changed the momentum of the game, but still Tennessee should have had uh, the wherewithal to to withstand that. Uh, so, yeah, I do think it makes it tougher because you were right on the cusp of having a really good chance to beat Alabama and the, and the rug was pulled out from under you. I think back to Miami a few weeks ago when Mario Cristobal made that stupid play at the end of the game where instead of taking a knee, they run it and they fumble, the other team scores. I picked North Carolina to beat the heck out of them the next week, and they did because Miami was still reeling from the coach's dumb decision. So, Caleb, to your point, I do think when you have an opportunity to win a game like that against Alabama and you don't, I think it makes it harder to recover. You talked about dumb decisions in your column that Josh Heupel made. The the fourth down calls uh, to me, and I know Caleb disagrees, but the fourth down calls to me just seemed like he was trying to force momentum or – pull back momentum. It was just forced is the best word that I can, I can come up with Jimmy. Well, there, there are a couple of things there. And I, I think one of them, somebody told me this, they said hyper was ticked off at the officials for not giving them the first down for reversing it. And he was going to say, all right, I'm going to stick it to the rest. Oh no. Uh, oh, maybe no. that was one of them. Uh, I, I don't agree with going for it when you've got the lead on your own territory. And a part of that is this. You think, well, what, what about the play call? Think about this with Tennessee. So there's an argument, what, Tennessee leads the SEC in rush and they average 231 yards a game, whatever. How do they gain most of those yards? When they spread the field 
and the opponent has five or six in the box. Tennessee is not a good running team when they bunch it in and the opponent has eight, nine, or ten men in the box. They are not. And one reason they are not is that their offensive line is not physical enough and Joe Milton 99% of the time is not going to keep the ball in his own read. So they're not a good running team in short-yarded situations when they when it's compacted, which is one another reason I didn't like Tennessee going for it in those situations. Now, I, I agree. Uh, I do. I think that um, it just it, it felt almost like uh, a team – a basketball team pressing. Um, it just it felt like the game was slipping away. And maybe maybe Josh Heupel knew that, that the game was slipping away and he felt like he made a play happen. But I wasn't a big fan of the fourth down, particularly the one where they lined up in shotgun. The, the, but it's, it's yeah. one decision to go for it. It's another for that to be your play call. Those are two different conversations, right? Well, they, yeah, I, I, and I didn't like the play calls because I don't think they could run the football effectively against Alabama in a bunch of situations. The other thing is, why would you do that with the lead? You know, if, if you're down seven points, ten points, whatever, and you're trying to recapture the momentum, that makes a little bit more sense to me to gamble. But why would you do that with the lead? Here's the other part of that, too. I've had several people tell me this, and <clears throat> I don't know the answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they think that Heupel is not used to having a good defense, and so he doesn't know how to coach with a good defense. Let your defense take over. You don't have to force the issue. You don't have to go for fourth down, punt it, and make Alabama go 65 or 70 yards. I don't know if that's a factor, but I know that some people have suggested to me that Hypo's not really sure how to call a game when he has a good defense. Yep, that's uh, that's a very interesting point. Uh, portions of the program brought to you by Harold Group Security Solutions, leadership experience, specialization, addressing problems through unique mission-specific mitigation techniques, also making your children safer at schools. They're working with private schools now. We're talking about former service members who go through a 60-day training to make sure that they make schools safer. They're working with private schools. We want to get them with public schools. So you have to go to your school administrators and say, Herald Group Security Solutions, call them. Let's get this thing done. Let's avoid the tragedies that we've seen across the United States of America. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. So I wanted to ask you about... Uh, Josh Heupel's talent evaluation, particularly because I'm looking at McCallan Castles and I think that he is, is very good. I think Keenan Pilly would have been good. Mm-hmm. 
But if you talk about the transfers that were brought in and some of the players that have been brought in, there seems to be a question about talent evaluation with Josh Heupel. What are your thoughts on on talent evaluation and what he's brought in, particularly with this incoming transfer class? Yeah, and you're talking mainly the transfer portal? Is that where you're aiming at? Yeah, and then we'll probably widen it to just overall, but particularly with those guys. I mean, I think we all thought, well, a lot of people thought Dante Thornton was just going to be Jalen Hyatt part two, and that hadn't happened. That's the poster child for a mistake. Dante Thornton's not good. In fact, D. Williams is better than Dante Thornton, and they still need to use D. Williams on offense. I'm going to beat that drum until they finally do it. Um, <laughs> and they they also um, – the I think that there's a mixed bag. That one really stands out. Uh, there was a linebacker that came in from Texas named Mitchell. They thought was going to be really good. He wasn't very good. They brought in a couple of them that probably didn't fit their culture either. If I were now the first year he was plugging holes, I get that. Uh, the second year he was more trying to define people that can make an impact, and the same with the third year. I think it, I think overall it's been pretty good because a lot of those guys have contributed. Uh, Campbell at tackles contributed. Gabe Lolly in the secondary is a decent player, not great players, but decent players. Uh, Thornton to me stands out is a is a mistake. And so does Mitchell, the linebacker from Texas. I, I think otherwise they've done all right. Uh, I don't know. I haven't evaluated everybody else to see what their percentage is. But I think his percentage on players who have been either starters or pretty good players, I think it's, it would be over 70%, which um, I, I guess is okay. Yeah, I think so, back, in, back in the days when I spent too much time covering recruiting, um, it was – it was usually 50-50 guys would pan out and guys wouldn't. Out of a 25-man class, 12 or 13 would be good, and the other 12 or 13 wouldn't. Caleb, sorry right. to interrupt. Yeah, so um, before I go, I, I just have to say I'd be remiss as Jimmy, I don't know if you know, but I disagree with both you guys and John Adams. I am very <laughs> much – if I had my choice, I would not even spend money or waste time on a punter in college. I would just have my kicker do it because I think punting – and Harvard probability studies back me up on this with analytics. Punting is the most overused play in football, and it is a turnover. I don't care what anybody says. A punt is a turnover. You're giving the ball to the other team. So unless it's like fourth and 16 at your own 20, I think the punt's the most overused play. I think you should almost always go for it on fourth and one or fourth and inches. But I do agree that the play calls are terrible. I think on fourth okay, and – let's say, how good is Harvard football? <laughs> okay, let's let's put an end to that crap. Actually, actually, in football. I don't hey, care Jimmy, what Harvard says. Jimmy, Jimmy, <laughs> how good is Duke right now at football with an Ivy League head coach? I think I the future. They, but they bunt. Did he go to Harvard? I think is he was from Harvard. Princeton. I think it was Princeton or Cornell. One okay, of that rules out Harvard. <laughs> oh, okay. J- Jimmy's really big on the Ivy League out rivalries here. He's like, hey man, I'm Team Cornell all day. Um, but the point I. But the, the point I'm bringing up is that I actually think there's an issue right now in football, and it's funny, it goes right to what I'm about to talk about, which is with Tennessee, which is I think one of the problems is one of their biggest misses is Dante Thornton. The other one is Andre Carrick at left guard. And I unlike Thornton, I don't I I think Thornton is just lazy and doesn't care. I think Carrick is actually one who's just not that good. And I wonder if and I think that's one of their issues is they don't have any help at left guard, which is why they couldn't get the push on fourth and one, but 
we've talked about for a while. Do you think they're having more success with players at lower levels that shined than they are with players that couldn't play at other big name schools? I I want to echo that and say, I think that's going to be the trend in the transfer portal as a whole, Jimmy. I think you're going to bring guys up. Why would you leave a Texas if you're good there and you're getting NIL money? I mean, to go to Tennessee, I don't know. Maybe you're getting more NIL money. <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know what his money was at Texas. I, I don't know the answer to that. The question is a really good one. I haven't researched it, so I'm I'm sitting here trying to think of all the players that have come in. They brought in a guy from Mississippi State, Javante Payton. He didn't he didn't catch a lot of passes, but he caught a lot of touchdown passes, percentage versus uh, catches. Uh, Valus Jones came in from Southern Cal. He was really good. Um, so, and then they brought in Costello from Stanford and he wasn't, um, I, I, off the top of my head, I think of a mixed bag of success, but then I look at one of the best players, uh, in my opinion, in the sec, Ray Davis came from temple, went to Vanderbilt. Now he's at Kentucky and he's really good. Uh, that's a guy. And I consider temple obviously a smaller, right? So this guy in Vanderbilt, <laughs> so this guy, is uh is upgraded his situation. I think there's a lot to be said for that. I know that uh that a lot of times you look at a guy that might have played at Brigham Young and say, hey, he was pretty good at Brigham Young, and we know that he'll be successful. And I think Peely would have been had he not been injured. But uh I do like the idea there's a running back at South Carolina that's doing really well. His name is Mario Anderson. He came from Newberry. In the first game or two, he did nothing. And then they started giving him the ball 20 times a game. And then since then, he's averaging like over 100 yards from the line of scrimmage. He's a pretty good football player. I think it makes sense to do what you're suggesting, and that's to take somebody who's been really good at a smaller school and is still real hungry. And you take him and bring him up to a higher level, he performs well, and that increases his value for the NFL. I remember Jacob Warren telling me that uh, McCallum Castles uh, was stunned that they they had uh, uh, an open eating area and that they didn't have to cook their own food every night. And he was so excited that he was just like, this is amazing. And he immediately put on like 10, 15 pounds just in the spring. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, you get there and you're appreciative. I don't know that Dante Thornton is appreciative. And I know that he really shopped himself in terms of getting uh, the best deal he possibly mm-hmm. could. And I think he probably feels like he got the the money that he needs to to live for quite some time and uh, he's going to find out when he's in his 30s that you know a hundred thousand dollars or whatever the number is isn't going to get you through the rest of your life well let, uh, on a just uh an overall view if you think making nil money is better than nfl money uh you're not very smart if yeah. you had if you had come to a program and then you produced and got drafted and played in the NFL for five years, that's a whole lot more money than you're going to make in a, on an NIL deal in college. So if that was his thinking, that wasn't very smart. No, and John Calipari has a great line. He said, you're tripping over nickels uh, instead of making millions. When he's oh, I thought you were tripping it. over thoroughbreds. You're tripping over thoroughbreds, yeah, that's right. You know what or, they get in Kentucky? Yeah, or or Versus- – or, or hair gel. What you- <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim, I wonder with, <clears throat> pardon me, the the personnel thing. 
is is Josh Heupel too stubborn? Because you've mentioned the D. Williams thing and the Dante Thornton thing, and I feel like that Joe Milton's being shoved down her throats just a little bit. And um, I just feel like he doesn't want to be wrong publicly at times with some of his personnel moves. Am I crazy to think that? No, I, I, um, I think he is a little bit stubborn. I think a lot of good coaches are a little bit stubborn. Uh, there's one that coaches the Patriots right now. That's pretty stubborn too, isn't he? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, probably a little bit. Um, the thing that you have to do though, is that, not every suggestion that comes from fans of the media is stupid. Okay. So I think sometimes you have to sit back and say, you know, that's a pretty good point. I'm not going to not play this guy just because people in the media or fans think I should. So I, I, I think that sometimes coaches do get a little bit stubborn. Uh, it, and this goes back to where this guy told me, and I don't know if it's right or not, but he said, Hyper went for that fourth down after the Joe Milton thing. Cause he was mad at the officials with making a bad spot. That's not a reason to go for fourth down. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think a little bit, but I, I don't think that's unlike a lot of coaches in the game today. Yeah. And GM, uh, since you brought up Bill Belichick, because yeah. I yeah. think of I think of Dave's favorite team, the Cowboys, uh, Tech Shrim, I think was the best GM in football for 20 years and was so arrogant in the 80s that he basically did himself in because he thought he could find anybody out of high school that point i read a story about text so i know that as a student of history well and and, and they got i mean they'd go get a basketball player was it mel renfro and it becomes a really good nfl player they would go out and get they uh well they had uh they they signed several people that were not really good college players and ended up being pretty good players in the nfl but you don't want to you don't want to bet your house on that right no and uh, uh, bill bates would be a great example as well from from farragut um, uh, yeah, I, it, it, it's interesting to me to dig your heels into the sand. I mean, I think everything should be fluid, uh, in, ter- in terms of personnel. Now I'm not saying if a guy has a bad game that you bench him, but Jimmy, if, if in the off season, Nico looked as good or better than Joe Milton, then I don't see any reason why he shouldn't start the season. And for people that say he's too thin, Hey, I, you and I both stood next to Casey Clawson when he started this first game against Alabama. I could have bench pressed that guy. Peyton Manning was pretty thin too his freshman year. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. You may have better insight into that, Dave, than I do in, in talking to some players. But I, I don't. The ones that I have talked, the people I have talked to, say that Nico is not quite ready. Okay, now what does that mean? Uh, part of it is you have to – this offense requires an awful lot of reading by the quarterback. He's got to read the defense and be on the same page as the receivers reading the defense as well. Uh, he's got to be able to read on the zone read, which I still think is a predetermined call most of the time for Tennessee. So there's a lot of reading involved with what he's doing, and there's making sure you got the pass protections as well. Uh, and, and is he accurate? From what I've heard, he's a pretty accurate passer. He's a better runner, I think, a more natural runner than Joe Milton. I think he's going to be a star. Um, so the aversion to playing him right now may be because he's, quote, not ready, whatever that means, but I've heard that from several people. But, my goodness, if you if you lose to Kentucky, I'm not sure I'd want to make his first start against Georgia. <laughs> uh, no. But but I, I would certainly look at maybe a Connecticut uh, if if I know that my season is headed in a downward spiral. The other thing you have to evaluate a little bit, 
is that this is Joe Milton's team. Are the players going to revolt? I don't know. Um, if, if if Nico comes in and plays well, nobody revolts, right? Or they shouldn't. No. Uh, so it, it, I think that's a tough call for a coach to make. Going back to the Peyton Manning thing, that wasn't a tough call at all. He had injuries. He had injuries mm-hmm. to Jerry Colquitt. He had injury to Todd Helton. Helton didn't really want to be the starter anymore. And so Mil- so Manning gets elevated uh, and, and has a battle with Brandon Stewart. So that wasn't a decision, oh, we're going to bench this guy for this guy. No. Uh, it's more similar, and we've talked about this, to Kelly Bryant at Clemson getting benched for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I would definitely defer. I'm glad you brought that up about the Nico thing. I would definitely defer to you on that and what you've heard because what I've been told is that he's ready to go if he had to, but that, and this isn't coming from players, he's ready to go if he has to. However, they love Joe Milton, and they're not going to make a change even if it were close. That's that's what I was told. So I would defer to you if you think, if you've been told he's not ready. I, I think there's a lot of truth to the second thing you said about Milton. I, re- I really do. And, but again, if, if you're, if you're starting to head toward a seven and five, why not give him some snaps? Here's the other thing too. Um, so I know Caleb thinks punting's overrated. I wonder if giving him a few snaps late in the season's overrated because I heard a lot when Manning was a quarterback Man, they got to get T. Martin ready. And T. Martin didn't hardly play at all because they were trying to build up Manning for the stats, for the Heisman Trophy. And then T. Martin comes in with a very much a lack of experience and wins a national championship. Now, to me, the difference in that was, look at the team that T. Martin was surrounded by. Yeah. He didn't have to carry the load like Hendon Hooker, or Milton, or Nico will have to end this offense. So I, I see that as a difference. But I've, I've heard the argument about, well, T. Martin didn't get any experience. He won a national championship. But uh, we'll also have to say, too, T. Martin was also, yes, he had a loaded team, but that was a rough situation. Not only did he have to take over, but that was probably the most brutal start to a schedule Tennessee's ever had in 98 because they had to play Syracuse, Florida, and Georgia, like two top mm-hmm. ten teams and then the Big East champion and the biggest champion on the road. I mean, like, and Martin didn't play well until about the second half of the Georgia game that year. Yeah, and and what he would do, he would make a big play, like against Syracuse, he took off and ran for, what, 64 yards? But he didn't, when you evaluated the game, he did not have a very good game. That's true. Um, So, yeah, it, it took him a while to really hit his stride as the Tennessee quarterback and become consistently good. Uh, even though he would make a, a big player, a key play here or there. I mean, the Florida game, I forgot his stats, but he, his numbers, I, I think I'm right about this. I think he threw for like 65 yards in that Florida game. But he threw that touchdown pass to Peerless Price where he lobbed it up in the end zone. So, yeah, I, I agree with that point about Martin. It did take him a while before you hit his groove as a quarterback. Jimmy, great stuff as always. You can uh, check out his column on offthehooksports.com. I'll have a prediction column as well. And um, we we appreciate you. Um, and uh, no punting allowed. No, well, now I'm going to go uh, uh, go do a history on Harvard football. I'm going to go study <laughs> how the, that Harvard, what are they, the red, the crimson? Well, the crimson. There you go. You still have to have the talent. I'm just saying that there's <laughs> – look – I, I'm just going to say it. I think there is a market in football, and in the, there's about to be a Moneyball era for coaches, Jimmy, because in, with NIL, you can't just yeah. have the, the dump truck of cash like Jimbo Fisher anymore. You just can't do that. And what people are going to realize, 
And I think Nebraska did this with Matt Rule. By the way, they're playing analytics. Have, has anybody noticed Nebraska's on a four-game winning streak right now? And they're going to make their first I have not. <laughs> yeah, no. Who they beat? Oh, they beat Nobody worth – but who did – wait. These, they're <laughs> Harvard. Teams they lo- did they beat Harvard? <laughs> they would have lost to Harvard with Scott Frost, though. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying there is a there's <laughs> going to be a market for the Mike Elkos of the world that are Ivy League play probabilities, but also understand football, and you'll be able to get them at a money ball price. Because I think, by and large, coaches make basic mistakes because they're usually former players who don't understand probabilities in math. And the Falcons Super Bowl is all I got to say for that. Uh, Dan Dan Campbell and the Super Bowl against the Patriots is the most obvious case of that. Any one of us could have won that game and would not have blown a 28-3 lead. It's a lot. All right. Well, hey, look, I've been trying to get to my Harvard analytics. So believe me, I got to go. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, great stuff. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, By the way, uh, you had a wedding over the weekend. Your daughter got married. So congratulations to you and your family. Well, I appreciate that. It was a a phenomenal wedding. Great scene, great weather. Everything went off uh, splendidly. I was very thrilled with that. One of the one of the greatest days of my life. I appreciate that day, but it was a really special day for my daughter to get married. That is awesome. That is awesome. You guys take care. Take care. It's uh, Jimmy Himes. We certainly appreciate his contribution. Coming up on the program, Tennessee's run off some quarterbacks. Would the Vols have been better off with four quarterbacks that they essentially pushed out the door as compared to Joe Milton Uh, portions of the program brought to you by sports treasures, carrying over 5 million sports treasures and so much more. All I ask is that you follow them on Facebook and see what they're sharing each and every day when it comes to sports memorabilia, especially about the balls daily updates, just go to Facebook and follow them at SportsTreasures.com. Would the balls have been better off uh, with uh, the quarterbacks that we're going to discuss that have been run off two minutes off the hook sports. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Hi, I'm Rick Terry, and we at Rick Terry Jewelry Designs pride ourselves in the highest quality craftsmanship from a family-owned business here in Knoxville for over 35 years. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we also take pride in being an affordable option for all your game day accessories, especially those fire opals. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we want to be your jeweler every day and especially on game day. Go Vols! Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend a refreshment that can only be found in one place with a taste that makes you say give me three bottles of the good stuff tennessee cider company where necessity can be found 
Objective coverage. Hey, that's new. If we get caught, we're going to jail. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. I'm going to need to see some identification. Back to Dave Hooker. Caleb has an Alabama hangover stat. Before we get to some quarterbacks that have been run off by the balls, and would Tennessee be better off with them at quarterback instead of uh, Joe Milton? And we're going to get to Salter, Travis, uh, definitely. Um, I don't have a problem with that, and I think you bring up a good point that I want to get to. All right, so you got an Alabama hangover stat. I do, and I know what Jimmy's talking about, Tennessee 6-9 and nine after losing to Alabama with Nick Saban. However, including last year when they won, against the spread, Tennessee's actually 10-5-1. So I think a lot of that 6-9, and nine, I think a lot of that's more about Tennessee just being a bad team most of those years than playing Alabama. I do feel, though, that there's an Alabama, in general, not just Tennessee, I do feel like there's an Alabama hangover. I, I can't think statistically it, prove it, but I think you I think, play that team and they're physical and tough. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, I think the the point you brought up and the point Jimmy brought up about this year it being an emotional game or because Tennessee thought they had a chance to win. Yeah, you have a point with that. But I think it, it it's only a hangover if you put a lot in, if you genuinely go in hoping to win and don't throw it away and chalk it up as a loss like Tennessee did in most of those years. And so, well, I'll you know, tell to, you though, I tell you, Caleb, it's just, you know, for you to put it all on the line, forget the physical part of it, but for you to put it all on the line emotionally, have the lead, and you look like you're going to beat Alabama two years in a row, and then for that to get ripped out from under you, not just losing a lead late, that just seems like it's tough. And these guys are pros, and I think Tennessee – well, kind of they're pros. These guys – at Tennessee, they have not good leadership, incredible leadership, great leadership. Look at how they bounce back from heartbreaking losses. But even for this team, it seems like it would be tough to get up for that Monday practice. I'm not talking about the game on Saturday. I'm talking about what's already happened. To have your best practice on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that to me seems like it would be difficult the way they lost. I don't have a stat to prove it. It just seems difficult. No, I agree. I'm trying to bring up, I agree with you about this year, but I don't think it has applied to Tennessee over the last 15 years because I think that has more to do with Tennessee. Just, I don't think Tennessee was emotionally invested in most of those games with Alabama. I mean, I don't think Tennessee fans were. I think every, there was one year people were rooting for Tennessee, for Alabama to cover the spread because they wanted Butch Jones fired so badly. And it was like a 42 point spread and they still covered. Um, but I think it was, but you are right because I remember. I mean, you covered some Tennessee teams that had hangovers after that Florida loss, and they struggled the next week because they just couldn't mentally get into the game after putting everything into Florida and then losing and then knowing your season might be over. No. Uh, here we go. It is time for four downs. Uh, Cooper Mays will lead us into it. We're going to talk some uh, quarterbacks. Cooper, what should people do, though, right now? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Yes, please hit like and subscribe. We greatly appreciate that big group on board today. So uh, thank you so much. It is time for four downs. And it is right now, I think, if I can find the right button, which I think I can. Do you have faith in me, Caleb? I got faith in you. Let's do it. Four downs. Four questions. 
Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. And it's brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company, tnsidercompany.com. Use the promo code HAT. Get free swag with any cider that you can get delivered most anywhere in the United States of America. Can we go ahead and agree that, because I'm not going to include this in four downs, but can we go ahead and agree that Tennessee would be better off with uh, Michael Penix Jr., who's a Heisman Trophy candidate, than Joe Milton right now, who Tennessee did run off uh, with Jeremy Pruitt's staff, essentially pulled his scholarship. Can we agree with that one? Yes, we can absolutely agree with that one. And as a matter of fact, Tennessee had Adrian Martinez committed that year too, who ended up going to Nebraska. I was higher on Adrian Martinez at the time. I did not see Penix doing what he did. Okay, so let's go ahead and move to some other quarterbacks that Tennessee could have had. And I'll ask you, Caleb, if the balls would have been better off. And you can give us a little background about why they didn't become balls. Again, hit that like and subscribe button. Greatly appreciate it. What down, Coop? Coop here. First down. All right. First down, it is Caden Salter. Now, he is not of all because publicly he had uh, two marijuana charges. And I will agree with Travis that you have to be more particular with the leadership on your team at quarterback. So while that might have not gotten a defensive tackle kicked off the team, uh, quarterback, I understand that. But aside from that, would Tennessee have been better off with Caden Salter, who is where, Caleb? He is at Liberty now. Okay. Would Tennessee have been better off with Caden Salter than Joe Milton? Yay or nay? Yes. Yes. Caden Salter is a better quarterback. Um, Ouch. I didn't think you'd yeah. go that direction. Okay. No, that's All an right. easy one for me. Okay. Uh, I will agree. All right. Here we go. Cooper Mays here. Second down. Brian Moore. Who Tennessee Ballard. ran off, and I'm not going to get into particulars how I know, but I know. So they definitely ran him off. Would they have been better off with Brian Moore? That's actually a tough one. Um, I'm going to say no because Bauer does not have Milton's mobility, but he is much more accurate than Milton is. The decision-making still was questionable, but that's hard for me to judge because I only saw Maurer play as a true freshman. And you can question anybody's decision-making as a true freshman. Joe Milton's a six-year senior, and he's having these <laughs> no, issues. He's like, so. he's like 32 years old. He gets a yes. senior citizen discount. Exactly. So, yeah. So I'm going to say, I'm still going to say Milton slightly because he had a bigger arm in his mobility, but Maurer was much more accurate. And we were talking about this over the phone last night, Dave. Give me, I mean, I'll take, uh, I'll take hitting a bare minimum with an arm and pinpoint accuracy over big arm. And I don't care what system you're playing in. Yeah, I, I I think there's a an arm strength that you have to have to play at certain levels. And aside from that, I think it's gravy. Uh, I really do. What down, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. Harrison Bailey, better off than with Joe Milton? No. No, and Harrison Bailey was a five-star recruit. Actually came from that. He and Ramel Keaton were teammates in high school. That was a duo in high school, and Jeremy Pruitt got both of them. But – Harrison Bailey was, shouldn't have been a five-star. His pocket presence is terrible. If we remember, he went to UNLV after Tennessee and couldn't start at UNLV. Now he's transferred to Louisville, and he's third on the depth chart at Louisville. I just – Harrison Bailey ha, has a big arm, and actually he does have accuracy, but his pocket presence is so bad. And it's so bad, Dave, I don't think you could fix it in a, in a college career. Yeah, that, 
I talk about accuracy being an eight pocket presence to some extent is an eight too. just having that feel. I don't think anybody taught Patrick Mahomes to do some of the things that, that he does moving around. So I'm going to surprise you with this one and go a little bit off script. What down coop? All SEC center Cooper Mays here. Fourth down. Gaston Moore. Yowch. No, no, no they're not going to be better with Gaston Moore in there. Really? I don't think so. I feel like you don't better think with, so. Or I feel you... like Navy Shuler would have a better argument because Navy Shuler at least has mobility. Okay, well, this argument was presented to me, which spring practice is spring practice, guys. Okay, so we saw which which running back I've even Cam his, Yeah, he, he lit it up, and there was a Michael Brewster, and there was a Kirsten Biggers. If anybody remembers those names, that lit it up in spring practice. Why? It's because they didn't want to get the good running backs hurt. Gaston Moore looked good in spring practice, looked good in the spring game. You, you couldn't even see that being a possibility if they came out and said, man, Joe's just struggling with the offense. Gaston Moore time. More, no. more, more. That would have Give been like, more. Into, Dave, when you cover the 2005 saga with Rick Clawson and Eric Ainge, oh, notice they never turned to Jim Bob Cooter. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to give you that. You win. Uh, because they didn't. Um, <laughs> they never but, even gave him a look. Okay, but I would argue that Rick Clawson and Gaston Moore are somewhat analogous, wouldn't you? Yeah, but look, you guys have covered, and I've gotten the full story from covering you guys now, which is that Rick Clawson outperformed Ainge in all of fall camp and in the summer workouts, and Fulmer went with Ainge, and he should have gone with Clawson. Well, I understand why he went with Ainge because I saw Clawson play the season. After Fulmer fully went with Rick Clawson, Dave, Rick Clawson was bad. He just couldn't do things. Okay. Let's not forget that Tennessee lost a game to Alabama six to three. Yeah. Well, and, and remember this too. I talk about bare minimum arm strength. I'm not sure Rick Clawson had it to, to play. To yeah. To, to play in, in college football. Uh, I'm not sure he had the bare minimum arm strength. And I think you could probably, you know, ask that about Gaston Moore as well. Um, now, Travis, who is a monstrous Joe Milton guy and has accused me of being too hard on Joe Milton, says, I do like Gaston Moore. Um, and then we've got Roto 22 said, could Gaston play the way Joe did against Alabama? Well, he's not going to run for any yards. Can't we agree on that, Caleb? I mean, yeah, he's not going to run like Joe Milton yards. did. No, the, but, the quarterback play was not the reason Tennessee lost that game. Mm, I agree. I don't think they. I don't think they win that game with Hendon Hooker. Now Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt, maybe, but I don't think they win that game if you just replace Milton with Hooker on Saturday. Um, they beat Florida. They're not beating Alabama. Man, I don't know about that. I I think I think they convert. I I think with Hooker they do win actually because they convert on a couple of those red zone opportunities where they had to kick field goals. They're leading by a little bit more. I think he makes a couple more plays. So Alabama makes their surge in the third quarter, but Tennessee's able to hold on because they have a bigger lead from the first half. I'll, I'll I think with hooker, they win, win that Alabama game. I don't mean you're going to have to disagree on this. I think Alabama, let's if they fight. wanted to, let's go. <laughs> if Alabama wanted to, by the way, they could have scored probably another touchdown in that game at the end so we're talking it, it was 34 to 20 could have been 41 to 20 and so I, I, I just 
I don't want to fight anytime soon. I'll go ahead and uh, tell you, I'm I'm, I'm a one punch wonder. After that, I'm gonna get really really tired. So you'll uh, do the re- Jimmy Banks on. You'll do Jimmy Banks move right? <laughs> one punch and then uh and then peace. Uh, yeah, I mean, I well, but Banks did. I don't know why Banks just threw one punch, but I would just be fatigued. I mean, when's well, the last time you've been a fight? Thirty seconds in a fight is a long time. It is. Uh, uh, trust me. When I take my dog, I used to take my dog to a dog park, and when a fight broke out, if you didn't have that thing done in ten seconds, there could be some serious damage. And uh, uh, <laughs> Green Waves, Green Wave agrees with me, and I love his car emoji. No, I look at guys, that every they time. don't win with him. Yeah, they Hooker. went with Hooker. They win, and he no. means me, not Hendon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, with Dave, they win. Um, yeah. By the way, question. just totally random since we brought up Banks. You think half the reason Joe Milton has such the respect for the team was because of how he got involved with the Banks and Hooker fight last year? Absolutely. Yes. No question about it. That's a big factor. And he's yeah. willing to wait his time. And yes, those two factors are 1A and 1B. No question about it. College football viewership way up. I said this yesterday, and I, I believe it, that – College football, especially with the 12-team playoff, will rival the NFL. So I'm curious, since we have a lot of people on board today, are you NFL fans, yay or nay? And could you see college football being as big as the NFL? Because the NFL is the monster. I can tell you from working from ESPN, you wanted to get your Saturday stories in as quick as possible because they were going to be pushed off of the front page of ESPN.com by about 9 a.m. Sunday morning, if not earlier. It was going to be all NFL. And if you want to check out ESPN.com this weekend, you'll see the same thing. The college football coverage is going to be pushed off. Of course, all they run is AP stories now, but that's a whole different story. Caleb, uh, talk about some tweets that we put out there. And if you want to put them up on the screen, we can. But do you think that college football can be as big as the NFL? Because there are some recent tweets in terms of ratings that believe that very well could be the case. Why? Yeah, so this comes from Michael Mulvihill, who is the insights and analytics guy for Fox Sports. So he brought up that, Big Noon Saturday, which the Big Ten has. And this is something that's common. One of the longstanding traditions of college football, Dave, and you know this dating back to since TVs, since cable TV became a thing, there was this belief that people like night games and not noon games. Not true. People love noon football. They do. And the Big Ten made that bet, and it's paying off. Their Big Noon Saturday average is up 9% from last year. 25% 25% from 2021 wow. and and yeah and it's up 14% at 11 a.m. the kickoff show for Big Noon most growth of any pregame show now another point brought up from Mulvey Hill is that through week eight the year-over-year trend for all college football is now 14% above last year and the five-year trend 29% growth over five okay. years Okay, let me ask you why. Why is that the case? Is it the NFL has done something that has led people in their weekends to spend more time with college football, or is that college football has done something? Because that's my question. I think it's pretty simple. I think college football was in a very dark period in the 2010s, largely because there was so it was 
Alabama and Clemson were so head and shoulders above the rest of the country in college football during that time. And I think finally you're seeing more parity brought to it. And so you see, I mean, this is, I think the reason it's so up this year is I'm just going to be honest. This is the most wide open year since 2007. There are, we are almost at the end of October, Dave. And there are probably 20 teams that still could make the college football playoff right now. You're usually to about eight or nine at this time of year in a regular year for the college football playoff. You're at 20 right now. And I think it might be more than that. And so these regular season games carry huge magnitude. The Penn State-Ohio State game last week was gigantic in that regard. Penn State is still in the hunt, but they now have to play catch-up and hope they get a little help along the way. And- Check out check out this number. Despite its continued ratings dominance, and they are still dominating the NFL, viewership declined for the 2022 regular season. Okay, Across all viewing sources, the average audience was 16.7 million compared to 17.1 million. So it is declining for whatever reason. And I think part of it is that it's so expensive to go to a game. You don't have that connection with the team so that you watch them on TV when you can't go to the games or it's an away game. It's so incredibly expensive to go to games. Now, college football may soon get in that realm too and may may be really close to it. I also wonder too, I know this has been a long time and I don't want to turn this into a political conversation, but the Colin Kaepernick thing, I think did turn a lot of people off and the kneeling thing. And there are a lot of people I know that were huge NFL fans would dress up head to toe and support their NFL team. And when the kneeling thing happened, they wrote it off forever. You think that still has an effect or is that a reach? Cause that's now been what, like uh, eight years. I think that had an effect in 2017. I don't think it has an effect anymore. Um, and I think the reason it doesn't have an effect anymore is, I mean, the, the data came out and then the NFL just exploded in ratings in 2018 and 2019. Here's what happened with the Colin Kaepernick thing. The kneel down thing happened in 2016. ESPN and networks realized it was ratings gold for them on the talk shows to talk about the kneeling. So they showed all the players kneeling in 2017, which is, and then of course, as we know, whatever you think about a Donald Trump saw this kind of as a political opportunity. So he jumped in on it himself. And so it became a massive division. The NFL rightly, and I think they did this smartly, got it right. They finally went to the networks and said, Hey, you guys want us to carry games on your network in the future. You better stop showing this stuff. You better stop even promoting it. Don't talk about it. And I think that was a big deal because let's be honest. Yes. It's good for the ESPN talk shows, but it's not good for the Sunday night football or the Monday night football game on ESPN with the ratings. And I think they finally realized they stopped talking about it and it helped the ratings after that. I'll give you two reasons. Nobody watches a sporting event when the stands are empty. Okay. That that's proven that, and it's not just the fact that there's lack of interest in, in person and on television. It's that you see empty stands and it's a bad visual. You can always tell when that's the case because the crowd won't pan up to the fans. Okay. So That's a proven thing that television executives know. On the flip side, when you see Neyland Stadium going bat stuff crazy, don't you get a little bit excited? Don't don't you think that, hey, this is fun to watch, or you see some other program, or you see Texas going crazy to play Alabama, or that sort of thing? I think you do. And the other thing is Gary Danielson said 
he told us that uh, the, the college game is bastardized is the word he used by the fact that offensive linemen are allowed to release on passing plays and essentially bought downfield. Maybe it is. Maybe that's not pure football. Well, let me tell you something. It's more fun to watch. It is. I mean, is look it? At, and, and it is. It absolutely is. And look at NFL like betting lines, for instance. Over under in NFL games are in the 30s and the 40s. If it are, if like the Iowa Minnesota under last week, the Iowa scores are commonplace in the NFL. <laughs> you know what I mean? When we make fun of Iowa, and that's a problem. The other issue, I think. I think one of the things that is hurting the NFL this year, if it's down this year and guys, we're everything's relative NFL still King. Like it's still the King of, of Kings. It's one thing that helps the NFL, but Dave, I think it's hurting it right now, which is this. The NFL has always been helped by the fact that every team, no matter who you root for with one good off season can become a Super Bowl contender. I mean, there's so much parody, but I think there's so much parody now. I think it's gotten to a point where it's hard to create narratives. Because every team is almost on an exact even playing point. field. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. I mean, there's no story as good as the the Patriots were, whether you liked them or hated them right yeah. now. You need a villain. And, uh, yeah, great point. And I think you're going to see more parity in college football because of the transfer portal, uh, because of NIL money. I don't think you're ever going to see a program anywhere close to as dominant as Alabama has been. And I'm including – Georgia in that, who I believe is at the top right now. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. We greatly appreciate you. Weekdays at 10 a.m. Join us live. He is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the Hook Sports. Have a great morning, day, afternoon, whatever the case may be when you're watching. We'll talk to you each weekday at 10 a.m. off the Hook Sports. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.